Don't Call Me Girl Boss is about sharing women small business owners' real, unfiltered, and relatable business journeys in Texas and California. I am your host, Jessica Ray Buck, a small business owner myself. I interview amazing women who share exactly how they got to where they are today. I hope this encourages anyone listening to start a business or get better in the business they are in. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Don't Call Me Girl Boss. This week, I have been working on a few things. If you've been following me on Instagram, on at Sunless Ray or at Don't Call Me Girl Boss, you can kind of see I did like an Instagram aesthetic update. I guess I just wanted something different. And on Sunless Ray, I felt like I was just reposting client photos a lot. And I was thinking if I was following me, is that something I'd want to see? And the answer was no. So I just decided to put more design into it. And same with Don't Call Me Girl Boss. I've kind of struggled with that aesthetic as well. So I think I found one that I liked and how I kind of finally came up with the idea for the aesthetics that I've chosen is through Planoly. So being able to see my feed before I post it. It's been very helpful. I can kind of see what would look bad together or what thing I need to post next. And for some way, I made like a list of 10 different things I'd want to post about. So I kind of like look at that and I'm like, okay, I want to make a post for that. And just kind of see when the most recent post was that I did and kind of just like curate it that way. Don't call me girl boss. I'm going to do the simple aesthetic of like a quote, picture, quote, picture, quote, it's just easy. I don't have to think about it as much. It's not my priority Instagram. So unless Ray is, don't call me girl boss, is getting there as well. They're both a priority. I guess that's a bad way to put it, but Sunless Ray is my bread and butter. So I really need to put as much effort as I can into that. So if you follow me on those, comment on one of my posts and just let me know if you like the new aesthetic. If you don't, if you like the old way, I would love any feedback that I can get as a solopreneur. It is hard to always know if you're doing something that is good or bad. Um, Another update I have is in regards to the PPP loan that I've been talking about a lot. I am still in the process of getting it. I have not received any funds yet, so that's still a waiting game. The CA Small Business Grant, they denied me, (laughs) so they said I would be considered in round two. So I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Who knows? Um, California did just let all businesses open. Restaurants are only outside, but I know salons and stuff are open. Um, So that's good news. Um, After you've been hearing my other episodes, I have talked about opening up a salon here in Austin, Texas, and that is still in the works right now. To be honest, I'm nervous. I'm going bigger than I ever have before. And the the place that we went and looked at last week is amazing, but it's intimidating. You know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars that um, the rent is going to be. And I need to have, you know, hairstylists and everything ready to go to even cut even, let alone profit. So I need to get my ducks in a row, figure out how much money that I need to borrow or how much money that I have, um, how much everything's going to cost. And it's honestly getting over my fears and becoming a business owner and taking that risk. And it's like, I've come this far. What am I scared of? You know, 
And that kind of falls into the transition into my business. Spray tanning has taken a huge hit with COVID. I think out of all the beauty services, honestly, it was probably hit the worst. Maybe I'm biased because I'm in it, but I feel that way. So I'm kind of just reevaluating kind of what I want my business to look like and what my, I want my life to look like. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop spray tanning or anything like that. Or maybe it does. It's just all right now I'm just going through different situations and just making a list of the businesses that I do have and where I make the most money and where it makes the most sense. So, um, I suggest if you're in the same place as me, maybe like write a list of your business and all of the different ways through your business, you could make money. So for example, with Sunless Ray, I can sell my moose. I can do spray tans in Brea. I can do spray tans in Austin. I can do spray tan training. I can do, you know, more in-depth spray tan training. I mean, there's so many different things that I can do. So I've been making a list of all of these things and kind of just figuring out what makes me the most money and what makes the most sense with my time and what I want my day to look like. Like, do I want to be running around doing mobile spray tans for $40 to $50? And the answer is no. And it's just not smart with my money anymore. So... I don't know. I'm just going through a transition and like what I'm passionate about. Yeah, I love spray tanning and it's got me so many great places, but is that the end all be all? And I don't know. So I'm going through that transition right now and just figuring out what I want my business to look like. And I think it's good, you know, once a year to kind of look at your business and what it is you want out of it, what's making you money, what's not, and kind of focus on those things and hone in on what is going to be the best for you, the world that we live in, and the life that you want. Another thing that I'm super excited to start doing is with my friend Morgan. She owns um, Fuck Mascara in Austin, Texas. She's actually been on the podcast. You can look for her episode. She's amazing. Um, I connected with her like when I first moved out here. And um, I had a friend of mine who has also been on the podcast, um, Maternal Root. She was my doula when I gave birth to my son. She was like, um, hey, like, what do you do when your business goes sideways? And I was like, you know, I don't know. Like, what Like, what are the details of that? And she was just kind of like, you know, I just feel alone in my journey. Nothing really in particular. I just, you know, it's hard to find someone to talk to. And I was like, wow, I feel that way too a lot. It's really difficult to always have someone to talk to. I mean, you have your significant other, but there's only so many things that they can talk to you about through a day as well. So um, I reached out to Morgan and I was like, hey, what if we did this like Zoom call? We're thinking once a week, but we might do once a month. Uh, I was thinking the first Sunday of every month at 7 p.m. Central Time, we will do a Zoom call. And anyone who wants to join can. I'll be posting more information on this on my Instagram, but, um, basically it's just a space for business owners to hop on and really just talk about the struggles, um, to vent, to just collaborate with like-minded individuals that maybe it's hard to find in your community or where you're living. And this will just give you that space to do that. So if you are interested in joining that, you don't have to be a business owner. Maybe you're an aspiring business owner. This would be a great thing for you too. 
And so I'll be posting more information on when that exactly, like how to link up to that exact Zoom call and all of that. But that is something that we have scheduled for next Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time. And like I said, I'll be posting more information on that. And just let me know if that's something that you'd even be interested in. Just something brand new that we're doing. And I'm kind of excited about it because I don't have well, my group of friends out here in Austin, Texas has become all business owners just through networking and stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. Comment on one of my posts or DM me on Instagram at don't call me girl boss and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in and I'll send you more information. Well, enough about me. Let's get into the guest that we have today. So um, the guest that we have today, her, she is just awesome. She's a powerhouse in Austin, Texas. She does Instagram coaching. She's been mentioned in Forbes. Um, she's friends with all the influencers in Austin, Texas. She, I feel like if you're in the influencer space or you're on Instagram, you're probably following her. She had an amazing wedding where they dressed up in costume. Go check her out. It is amazing. And Dre, it's time of Dre. She was one of the first people that came to mind when I wanted to do my podcast. So I'm super excited that she's on and agreed to be here and just share all the knowledge that she has. She's a very, very smart woman and she's going to go very far and you're going to see her name. I don't know, somewhere big. She's going to just do amazing things. So without further ado, here is Time of Dre. Do you grow up? I know in the Forbes article it mentioned Montana, and I kind of think I knew that from beforehand. So, um, yeah, I'm from Missoula, Montana. So it's the the um, second largest city in Montana. So not like a podunk little place. It's pretty cosmo cosmopolitan in a Montana sense. You know, we have two WalMarts, a Target, a Best Buy. So it's not like we're out there in the sticks or anything like that. I just know Montana from um, Yellowstone. <laughs> That's what a lot of people say. And I'm like, I mean, it's kind of like that, but not really. <laughs> Was there a lot of farmers? There's more cows than people. That's for sure. And I think you went back recently, right? I went in, in, I went for a long time in June or so. I went for like three and a half weeks or something, which was really nice. It was nice to like not for like a weekend and to be home for a long period of time. My parents... When we're in California, so I like, got to live in my childhood home by my like by myself with Josh, you know. How so weird. Was, that must have like, been so weird. It was like weird to not have your parents there because they're always yeah. there. You know, like when you're there, they are always there. So it was kind of fun to like be without them. <laughs> I know. And then what do your parents do for work? So they're retired now, but my mom worked for the University of Montana um, in like a, a department that basically helped this like any of the special education programs that were on campus like get grants and money and and function um so I never asked all the details but she worked with the University of Montana and then my dad was a small um in paper products kind of like the office um but he owned his own business for my whole life pretty much so um not the most fun things but uh they always were very like consistent workers, you know, consistent. Were you, did you see him run his small business? Did that like kind of show you like that kind of world a little bit? I think it did. You know, I like what I attribute it most to is I had a dad, I had a stay at home dad 
So he worked from home. So I've stayed home dad oh, my that's whole life. Nice. That's interesting because it's normally the opposite. Yeah, I know. He was a great stay-at-home dad. My mom would have been a terrible stay-at-home mom. Um, he was a great stay-at-home dad. And like seeing his work life, you know, like I never, it's not that I admired what he was doing because I, when you're a kid, you don't realize like how much work work is until you see it from your parents. So I would see him like not work a lot, you know, like he wasn't working a lot, but I, but we always were going on these fun trips and doing all this cool stuff. And I was like, you know, here he is like living his best life, like clearly not um, like unbothered about like money and whatever. And he's like doing his own thing. And I always thought that was really interesting. And I think maybe subconsciously in my mind, I was like, I don't need to grow up and like do all this shit in order to be successful or like to have a good life. Cause he didn't do any of it. And we grew up very comfortable and happy. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're all just kind of a product of the signals that we see around us. And I have a very entrepreneurial extended family as well. Um, and so it was like, yeah, like we just don't go work for other people. We work for ourselves. Like that's kind of how, what it was like for the most part mm -hmm. um, in varying levels of success. Some work for themselves, but like very modestly, barely making it by where some others work for themselves and have like private jets. Like, wow. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Someday, maybe. <laughs> I know. Gosh, that's yeah. the dream, right? It's like we hustle now. Give me 10 years. Well, it's like, how old are you? I'm 33. You're 33. See, you're so young. It's like 10 years from now, like you'll only be 43. And I feel like millionaires don't become millionaires until they're like, I don't know, 50s or something. So we got a long way to go. <laughs> that's true. I'm just going to like stay on it, you know? Yeah, 100%. What did you want to be out of high school? So out of high school, you know, I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a pastry chef. So I actually did go to culinary school. I went to culinary school in the, in New York city to the Institute of culinary education. And for about seven years, I pursued pastry. So I had my own little bakery. Um, I specialized in wedding cake design and that's actually why I moved down to Texas. So I was going to open up a wedding cake bakery in Austin so that I could serve the Southern gals who get married by the droves where in Montana, no one's getting, getting married really all that frequently. Um, it's very seasonal up there. Um, and I loved it. I loved the creativity of working in pastry. I loved that there's a lot of freedom in those types of jobs. You don't have a boss who's like standing next to you, kind of watching what you're doing. You're, you're an independent worker a lot when it comes to food service jobs. Um, and I loved it. I'm glad I don't do it anymore, but at the time <laughs> it was a lot of fun for what it was. Did you have a brick and mortar in Montana then? So I had a commissary kitchen, which is like a place that you, you make all of your goods at. And then I would take them and I would sell them at um, markets and various places around town. And then a lot of my wedding cake orders was mainly what I was doing. And that didn't require any sort of storefront, if you will. So I would be yeah. able to meet people <clears throat> at local office, like meeting spaces and do the consultations and then make the cakes for them in the commissary kitchen. And how was that going? Were you just like, you were just ready to expand it when you moved to Austin? Yeah. You know, I, I like my move to Austin was born of wanting new weather, a new place 
to be and new horizons. I've never been afraid to move. I moved to New York City alone. I moved to Austin alone without ever visiting first. So I'm kind of one of those people that is not emotionally attached to anywhere um, that I live and I'm cool going anywhere. So I knew that Montana was limited with the resources, the budgets and the wedding season overall. And I wanted to expand that and see what I could do with it. So moving to Austin just felt like the right thing to do at that time. Um, I did not pursue it much longer when I moved to Austin. I actually ended up getting into software, which is like how the whole pivot in my life happened. But it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, just a little bit more about the pastry chef. So you went to trade school, you did all of that right out of high school, just ready to jump into that. So I went to normal traditional college for a couple of years, didn't love it. And then I went to pastry school. Then I came back and finished my degree and then finished another degree later than that. But um, so I always joke that I have like 2.5 degrees <laughs> because <laughs> the pastry education was not a degree. Um, it was just an education. So it was, um, it's a valuable, it's a fun party trick that I have up my sleeve, you know, that I can make, make some pretty cool stuff. And that is a fun party trick. <laughs> I feel like I dabbled in that a little bit during COVID when it was like super locked down. I feel like everyone did, but your level is probably way yeah. higher. Oh, I mean, you know what? That's where it all starts. Having a passion for it, finding out that you're good at something and running with it. You never know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm good at it. So we'll stick Next to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you moved to Austin. You said you quickly realized you didn't want to do it. What happened there? Well, growing up in Montana, um, got to be honest with you, the average salary of a person in Montana, like at the time was roughly around $27,000 a year. So wow. most people were working and making, making it by with a pretty low income overall in comparison to other places in the world. Now, I think it's probably more around like 40,000, but you know, the average income of a Montanan is pretty low. So in the way that I view it is that when you're in a fishbowl, you can't see outside of it. So my friends who are making $12 an hour, I remember having a friend who was making $12 an hour and me being like, you are rich, you know, you are killing it. I mean, I, I was like looking around, like, how can I find a job that's $15 an hour? Like, how can I find this? It's like the golden, you know, the golden egg. But then when I moved to Austin, I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> um, people actually can earn real life incomes in, in Austin, Texas. And the way that mostly they're doing that is through being in business or technology. And so I realized I was probably not pursuing the best use of my skills and the, my creative process by just working in culinary, that there was more out there for me. And so that's when I went back to college again um, in business at UT and got an internship with a software company that was a part of the the thing, getting an internship. And um, they ended up firing my boss after three weeks and they hired me on full time. Oh so <laughs> I like backed myself into a tech job in Austin, making more money than I had ever even considered in my lifetime with zero experience and zero reason that I deserved that job. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like did not deserve it. I think that they needed help and I just got lucky, honestly. <laughs> wow. Taking your boss's job from an internship. He must love you. 
Hershey. I, I mean, yeah, it, I, I came in one day and there, I, I'm not kidding. There was a box of tissues like on the desk and her stuff was gone. And I was like, what happened? Like, I had no idea what was happening. And they were like, will you come sit with us in the office? And that's when they offered me to come on full time. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess we're doing this. That's amazing. Um, what was it like going back to school? Were you nervous to go back or? So I, I, I joke with everybody that I don't like school, but I love education. And I think that that's really true for me. Um, I'm a learner. I learn all the time. Like when Josh, my husband is um, like, what are you going to get into today? I'm like, I'm going to learn today. And I'll turn on some sort of educational podcast or show or course, and I'll sit down and I'll learn. Um, so I really liked that about college. I was a great student, but it was the physically going to campus and like doing the steps that I didn't like, but I loved learning. So I think that it was tough to go back and pay for school and, you know, on my own again and do all of that, not knowing where the investment was going to lead me, but it turned out okay. So it all was all right. And reflecting, I'm like, this was good. I should, I'm yeah. glad. I did. Well, I'm <laughs> glad that you talked about going back to school. Cause I recently started going back to school. I start next week and it's like, I'm, why am I doing this? Should I do this? So it's interesting, like going back to school at an older age, not right out of high school and diving back into that world. Yeah. You know, I think it's what you make of it. I'm, you know, you can either treat it like it's a in and out type of thing, or you can embrace the experience. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there, but knowing that what you do is going to come back tenfold and benefit you in the future. If you let it, I think is the right, the right spirit to have there. Yeah. And then, so what was corporate life like? How was the nine to five? You know, I, so recently um, I was interviewed by Forbes about not craving stability. I think in the United States, particularly, we prize stability in careers. Like you have to have a stable job. I swear if there was one thing my parents like drilled into me as a child was you need healthcare and you need stability and you need a 401k and you need a plan. Like you need all of these things. You cannot live without your health insurance. Like that was the whole thing. Um, and so in corporate life, you know, there were some benefits to being like, if I show up, if I'm sick, if I'm not, if I'm here, whatever, like I still get paid and I'm still not going to be in dire straits with my health or anything like that. But boy, it is not for me. I tell people that I'm unemployable. And what I mean by that is not that I'm a bad employee, but that I don't make a great employee unless I'm working for myself. (laughs) Um, And how I discovered that in a nine to five was that I was constantly creative thinking with what was given to me as instruction. So it would be like, go do these three things. And I would be like, yes, but what if I did these other three things instead? that are probably going to get us to the same or better result. But like, can you let me do what I'm wanting to try? And of course that in bigger structures, it's like, no, you have to follow the process and do these things. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm just not a great employee because I I don't follow instruction well, not because I'm lazy, but because I want to try all of the other routes that we could get there. And people are like, just don't do that. Just do what we say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
so I wanted to leave every day at five, you know, I would come in at 10 and I'd want to leave at three and I was so ready to go. Um, and I knew that that was not what life for me was intended to look like. I do, I, I would argue that that's not what life should look like for anybody, but I know people has different, um, have different priorities, for, but for me, absolutely not. I was not going to let my life look like this. Um, and I knew that nine to five was not right for me. And so what did you do? You were just like, I need to start figuring out something to do on my own. Or what was that moment like? So contextually my life, I've been the queen of the side hustle. I owned an online jewelry boutique. I owned a, um, the, the bakery stuff. I used to paint custom clothing. Like I've always had little things, you know, little other things that I did, but none of them made brought in a significant enough income to be like, Whoa, this is a thing that I could do. So when I was in my last corporate job, which was media, I tell people this story all the time. I was working with big time brands and social. I mean, every brand that you would name, I probably worked with them that I started implementing that into my own account and really become a student of my own craft, but applying what I was applying to these big corporate structures into a personal account. And I saw that people were really interested in social media and what it was that I had to offer. And so I started out my side project, which is now my full-time job, Time of Dre, as a thing that I was doing in the broom closets and in between meetings at work, got in trouble for it a few times, to be honest, um, because again, I'm apparently not a great employee because I'm always doing my own <laughs> on top of what, on top of that. Um, and I knew I was on the way out, you, you know, like a relationship where you just know it's over. I, I knew that the, my relationship with the nine to five was over, but I needed to get the exit plan going. And that looked like finding clients and getting paid on my side hustle to a rate that made me feel confident and comfortable that I could supplement or replace or exceed what I was making in my nine to five job. Mm -hmm. So how did you start doing that? You started monetizing your social media? Yeah. So it looked at the time, it looked like taking on some brand sponsorships. It looked like taking on social media consulting clients at the time. Um, I was doing it in a different way than I do now, but at the time it was like kind of patchworking things together. You would come to me and ask me to help you with your Instagram. We'd work out a custom solution for you. I would charge you for that based upon a consultancy rate. And then we would do the work together. And one person turned into three people who turned into five people who turned into seven people. And that plus the brand sponsorships, I was like, wait a second, you know, at the time, I think I was making roughly about 3,500 a month off my Instagram and, you know, my, um, full-time job take-home pay was somewhere around 5,500. So I was like, you know, I'm not that far. Like I'm not that, I, it is really not that far. And I was just getting started. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking to myself, man, if I could just raise my prices, come up with a process, get great transformations for people, work with bigger brands, I could, you know, put A plus B plus C together and easily 
exceed what I'm making in my, in my normal job. And it was just a matter of time before that happened. So after about eight months, I was able to leave my full-time job and go full-time with Time of Dre, which is my Instagram social media consulting business. That's amazing. What would you tell someone who was in your position at their nine to five still, but I was looking to get out of it? So I do think that having some sort of plan is advisable. I'm, I wish I could be a super big dreamer who's like, just throw caution to the wind and, and jump in head first. But I do think there are some realities of you need to have a plan in place for sure. But what I would, what I would my, remind everyone of is nobody is going to give you a permission slip to go own your own life. Your husband won't tell you to do it. Your partner, your parents, no one's going to say, yeah, go ahead, quit that job. And like, chase your dreams. You have to make that decision and you will never be ready. If you wait until you're ready, you will be dead before you're ready because making big earth shattering tectonic plate moving decisions like becoming an entrepreneur is not something that you're going to wake up and be like, today I'm, I'm ready to like uproot my entire life. You know, it's just not going to happen. So I got lucky that I was super unhappy that like the unhappiness was my main driver. So maybe for you, it's your unhappiness that's a driver, or maybe it is the mission to do something bigger than what you're doing now that really pushes you over that edge to say, okay, I'm like pulling the ripcord and doing it. But having a little runway of a process or support or understanding at least the fundamentals of how to get your first client or, you know, get your first sale for whatever you're doing before you make that type of decision, because entrepreneurship is not for everybody. I will admit that. I do think everyone should try it, but not everybody is cut out for it. And I would just hate for someone to make a big change, like quitting a job only to realize like, whoa, this is a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. So do you recommend someone having like a side hustle and then keeping their nine to five until that's making enough money? That's what I did too. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with most people, I, I don't think it's realistic to say that your side hustle is going to exceed what you're making in your nine to five job. If you are still fully working in your nine to five job, because we are only given 24 hours in the day and where we put our energy and effort is where we will see thrive. So for clients of mine who are trying to quit their job, but they're like getting to that point, they're getting close. That is when I, we start having discussions about whether they should quit at that point, because having those eight hours back in a day could mean the difference between exceeding that $1,000 gap that you're experiencing or that $3,000 gap that you want to make or whatever it is, you need time in order to make those things happen. So if you've received enough green flags from the universe telling you that you're close and you need to like get it going, then maybe you can consider leaving your job a little early so that you have all of that additional time to really reinvest in client attraction or retention or whatever you need to do. Yeah. That's really good advice. So in your coaching, you help people through that decision-making. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately as a coach, your job is to support people through the decisions that they're already making for themselves. But a lot of times that looks like talking out what they're experiencing and feeling. Of course, there's a lot of fears and, um, 
you know, hesitations around leaving a job, which I understand fully. But most of the time people, when they're having these conversations, they know in their heart what the next step is and what they really want to do. They just need to talk it into circles before they can say, I'm ready, you know, or, or I feel like I'm as close to ready as I'm going to get and I can make that next step. Um, and for most people in that phase, it is the right choice for them. If you've gone that far, you're usually just one like fingernail hanging on from becoming an entrepreneur and you just need someone to boot you over the edge. <laughs> and maybe that's what I do as a coach sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people need that. It's like, it's hard to find someone to always talk to, like you have your significant other, but that's hard too. They're not in the same mind space or it's been a long day. They don't want to hear about it. Or you're talking about the same thing over and over again. It's like, do it or don't, you know, it's like, well, I kind of like want to just talk. <laughs> Absolutely. I, one of the biggest things about entrepreneurship that I would tell everybody is, you know, who you're hanging out with and your inner circle and their thoughts around entrepreneurship truly do either paint you into a corner or can set you free. And the more that I started hanging around with people who were entrepreneurs at a variety of levels and a variety of in, um, industries, it's like, wait a second. I'm like, my thought patterns are not unique and I'm not alone. There are tons of people out here who are doing crazy, big, scary goals every single day. But here I am with my other friend group who thinks Instagram is stupid and that I'm crazy and that I am full of myself and that I should quit wasting my time. And for a long time, I listened to that and kind of kept my whole things like secret from them in some ways. And not talked about it because I knew that when I brought it up, it was going to be like, want to hear about your Instagram project, you know, and like what random thing that you're working on. Um, but that's why I joined a master. I joined a mastermind when I first started my business, and it was with twelve other women who had a variety of online careers, and it was really empowering one to hear how successful they were, but also to just feel like I'm not alone. We're all in this together. There's tons of people out there like me. And that really made me it, like feel confident taking the next step forward. Yeah. What is the, the beginning days of your business look like? Like what was the transition from going full in? And then what did your day look like? I think messy action was probably the best way to put it. I had some processes in place. I had some thoughts and ideas on what I needed to do because Instagram is my jam understand how to utilize it like the back of my hand but utilizing it for business and client attraction and building authority and a community is like that and one you know and a huge like other additional skill set add on top of that which I hadn't fully refined at the time so it looked like engaging with a lot of people lots of content creation but developing coursework and starting to pick away at what my offer was going to be, like what my real offer was going to be and filming, refilming, refilming again, you know, a million times over until I ended up with something that I was happy with. And then of course, since then I've like redone it, you know, more times over, but um, lots of just creating lots of creation mode. And I would be lying if I said it was easy, but I think the hard part was that I was trying so hard to do things right that those 24 hours that only everyone has in the day, I was misusing them by doing things that were not efficient or needle moving activities. 
And so I experienced a lot of burnout. I felt really frustrated with myself. I felt like um, I was not caring for myself in the right ways. You know, I was not sleeping the right way. I was thinking about Instagram, like in bed, you know, my mind was working. And I knew that that's not what I wanted either. I didn't want that either. That's just as bad as a full-time job that you hate to go into. You know, it's another set of issues. So I would say lots of messy action, lots of figuring it out, lots of picking, picking at the pieces, um, but great lessons to learn. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of really powerful, great lessons. And I'm forever thankful that I did have a mastermind in those early days to support me because I would have been truly lost without them for sure. Yeah. So what would you say is time of Dre? Like what is that business? Yeah. So time of Dre media. Um, I am a Instagram monetization coach, which really boils down to being a social media business coach. Um, but I focus only on Instagram. So I like to be really clear about that with the platforms that I utilize. The reason what I do in a nutshell is I help other people discover their genius, refine that and find a way to package that into a viable offering. Because most people, yes, might use Instagram or a platform that they have for fun, but somewhere deep down inside of everyone, I do think there is some nugget of, yes, but if I could get paid for this, this would kind of be fun too, right? If I can make a little money off this, that would be nice. But doing that seems like such a far off process. Like it's only reserved for these supermodel looking gals with a million followers. And that's just not true. So I walk my clients through a process of self-discovery and refining all of their skill sets and what they want to do with their platform into opportunities that they can turn into a side income or a full-time income, depending on the person and what they want to do. And it's really, really cool as a coach to see people go from idea to execution, to business, to empowered business owner. I mean, it's a really interesting journey to watch people walk and it's all the power of social media. So um, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm a business coach for social media. Would you say you work with a lot of like micro influencers? Is that kind of like your realm or is it small, like online business products or which one is it? Or maybe all of it. So I do think I have the skill set to help anybody, but I do focus on certain types of people. I do focus on mission driven entrepreneurs or bloggers who are using their platform to create some sort of change or have some sort of discussion. So I am looking for people who are trying to share the benefits of non-toxic living or the benefits of co-parenting or how they change their lives through meditation. Those are the types of clients I love to work with because they're already deeply passionate about something that helped them in their lives. And they just need help communicating that and finding a way to take all of those wonderful skills that they have and move it into something else. Like for example, you, you have started a physical based business, but it's mo- you know, I'm also a mobile based business. I'm sure there's plenty of people who are like, I want to be a mobile massage tech and lash tech and nail artist, but how do I even get started? So for you and I, I might walk you through the process of uncovering your signature framework 
for how you can go from just being a skilled individual to actually getting your first mobile client, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a course or a coaching program or a consultancy where you help other small people do that type of, of activity and that build that business. And those are the types of people I like to work with. So typically not product, like physical product-based businesses and things like that, but people who are like, I got a message and I got something I'm fired up about and I want to help people. And how do I do it? Yeah. That's awesome. So in the Forbes article, it said you had three different other businesses. I know about the compensated creative and that's with your partner page, correct? And that's been recently launched, right? Yeah. So I've never done a membership before, but we are sick and tired of seeing bloggers get burned by brands, meaning they are underpaid. They're manipulated into thinking that they're not worth paying and all of these like psychological things that are I happening this so much. It's, it's truly, I mean, it's truly unfortunate. And then when you're getting started, there's a lot of that mind, those mindset blocks around, I got to be affordable. I need to get my foot in the door, all these phrases that, you know, I'm sure that maybe even you've heard and none of that's true. No one has to work for free. There's no rule in any book ever that says that, but brands manipulate you sometimes into feeling that way. So we created a membership that empowers micro bloggers to get bigger, better brand deals without getting burnt. So that is our our main mission. It is so much fun to see people getting their big brand deals and celebrating each other. Um, and really it's a lot of education, but it's also a lot of empowerment energy. And then my other business is Guide Media. So co-founder of Guide Media, and we are basically a digital matchmaker. And what that means is if you run a big, large business, we deal with multi-million dollar businesses, you have one choice when it comes to marketing. You can hire an ads person, you can hire a creative director, you can hire a social person, a photographer, a brand, or you can hire like five or six different positions. And you have to put all people on salary and salaries are expensive. So you could then come to guide and say, we don't have a department at our business, but we need a few people to do things for us. And we say, perfect, we have an ads team and we have a creative team that will come together and they will act as your creative team for your business for the next year. And at the end of it, you only have to 1099 them. They are considered a contractor. They're not a salaried employee, no health insurance in, in that context. Um, and so that is what we do. So we co-founded that technically back in, one like January of 2019 so a while ago um but it's not something that I talk about most much on time of Dre because it is also in the social media space and people get confused easily where they're like should I talk to guide should I talk to you should I you know who like what side am I working with but in short guide works with businesses that are making like five million a year so it's not for individuals like it would be for Time of Dream Media. And then who do you own that company with? So my business partner is, his name is Andrew. Um, we actually met through Instagram, which is crazy. Um, he had hired me for a project as an influencer and I told him no. <laughs> I told him no. And I was like, your rates suck and this whole thing is that not going to work. Like, you're crazy. And he was like, I need people who tell me things like that. You know, like I need to be around people who just like tell me that I'm on the wrong path or the right path. 
And so we stumbled our way into it, but now we have employees, we have taken on rounds of funding. Like it's really um, a large part of what I do, but it's just not a part of what you see on, on Instagram. That's so interesting. I would like never even have known. I obviously read the Forbes article and that's how I knew about it. And I was like, guide media. Like I had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am a, the co-founder. Uh, we all do different roles, but I only operate in the social realm for that business. And Andrew and some of the other guys do things like the, the sales and the mark, you know, the sales and marketing side of things. So um, yeah, everything I do is kind of behind the scenes. And I, I kind of like it that way for the most part. It's not that I mind anyone knows that I have that other side of my business. Um, it's just not as entertaining. You know, it's not, it's not lifestyle content. It's like very dry, you know, social content for big business. Well, I feel like some people put like in their Instagram bio, like co-owner uh, or CEO and just kind of like link it. Have you thought about doing that or just like completely separate? I haven't considered it because I don't think there's any benefit. I don't think yeah. that the, the leads that we're getting, the type of clients that we're getting, they're not going to come through looking at my Instagram profile. They come from LinkedIn mm-hmm. and um, paid leads. So yeah, probably like more, it would be more for contextual purposes rather than lead purposes. And then what is it like running all three of these different businesses and you have two partners and employees, and then you do time of Dre by yourself, like business partners we can have a whole podcast just about that. I mean, how do you balance all of it? Well, I am lucky that I work with people who make life easy. So Paige is a dream to work with. She's like a mellow individual, which I appreciate. Um, And Andrew and I had a really natural like friendship chemistry when we first met I I liken it to brother and sister in some ways where it's not like he's telling me what to do and I'm telling him what to do we just have like a harmonious you got this I got this we'll talk in a week like have a nice day type of relationship which feels really um calm there's not a lot of chaos within those businesses um I am blessed that they are all very successful so there's not a lot of mental real estate taking up like pain points, like constantly being worried about things about the businesses, that is really nice, but we have excellent support. The first thing that I do whenever I am in abundance with, you know, a new contract that comes in or whatever might happen is outsourcing other things. So money comes in. I love to spend it. I love spending money on the right people and the right things because my time is finite but money is limitless so it it doesn't matter the money will come but my time will never come back so I always hire out to people who are best at what they do for things that drive me um and you know if someone tells me that they love email marketing I'm like you're hired like just go for it because I will spend nine hours writing that email and I cannot do it so like you're in um So yes, it is a lot of balance. I'm an incredibly organized human being. I have a routine for sure, but I work with people who, who pull their weight and are responsible individuals. And that makes things a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah. How many people do you think you like have in your web that you're distributing work to? Um, So guide has a lot more, you know, like guide, guide has the most, 
Um, I would say that there is roughly about nine people in a week span of time, not every single day, but nine people that I'm kind of cross collaborating with. Guide does have a lot of contractors. So we have dozens and dozens and dozens of contractors that we work with, but I don't have to interface with them much. It's more like, is everything okay? And then we move forward. I don't need to manage, I'm not managing these people and their work. I'm just ensuring that they are on the rails and we are moving forward smoothly. So it's, it sounds like a lot, lot, and sometimes it is because I'm a wife as well. And like a human being who has a life. Uh, but I found that every time I make a hire, I feel infinitely better. And so I've learned to hire aggressively and freely because I see the immediate benefits of doing it each time. Would you say you're capped out in the businesses that you would be involved in? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, I want to say yes, but I am a constant creative and that's a problem. It's a problem. It's not, it's a good thing, but it's also a problem that I see opportunity in everyone and everything. So like you and I could sit down for coffee and by the end of it, I'd be like, oh my God, this is what we're doing. Like we're, you know, we're starting a consulting business for, you know, like it would just be another thing. So um, realistically, no, I am not going to start anything else. Well, except this business, me and my husband are thinking about But um, realistically, no, uh, without possibly having to hire more and, and kind of spreading myself around. One thing that I would recommend to people who are looking for entrepreneurship is when you are the CEO or when you start a business, it's because you're really good at something. But as you become a business owner, you realize you're not good at everything. You're not, you were good at the skill. You were good at the thing, but like you weren't good at creating ads and writing email copy and making flyers. Like you weren't good at that stuff initially. So when you have an opportunity to make a hire and scale, what you should be scaling back into is the fun stuff that you like to do, you know, and not the hard stuff that you don't like doing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it is being the creative and having the ideas and coming up with the new concepts. That's where I have the most fun with what I do. Um, But when I'm bogged down about what to write for an email subject line, it's not the best use of what I love, love to do with myself. So um, yeah, I would definitely say that finding support operating in your zone of genius, focusing on the things that you are most creative in and ditching the rest is a great way to do it. And so that's why I'm not going to start any more businesses because I want to like get to the point where I'm doing all the fun stuff again and not all of the hard stuff again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, on top of that, you're also an influencer and you're doing brand partnerships as well, right? You're still doing that? I do. I turn down 95% of what I get asked because when you do have your own products and services to sell, it's really not in my best interest to sell for other people or to promote other people's products. But every once in a while, um, a brand that I love will reach out or you know, a great, great situation where it's a really fun idea and I'll take it on, mm-hmm. but I won't, I, I say no to a lot of work there. Okay. Yeah. Cause I do see some posts and I'm like, is she, it's an influencer. Like I know you are, but it's like, yeah, I think the influencer stuff, the way I view it is like, it's a, it's a, the sprinkle on the top, 
you know, if, yeah. if it gives you credibility. Yeah, totally. And that's what I tell Paige all the time. I'm like, it's kind of ironic that we start an influencer membership at the same time that I say no to every brand deal that I get. But it's not that I don't know what to do and I don't feel very qualified and capable to help people with what they're doing. It's just a the law of, of numbers and sales as it as it goes for my personal page. But every once in a while, there's something that comes through and I'm like, I'm doing that. That sounds like a lot of fun. But well, I try yeah, to keep it. The, sometimes the money isn't going to match what you could be making doing in your other businesses too, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. That's why I really empower people especially who are looking to be influencers or just doing that type of work to develop their own product or service. Because if right now, let's just like an imaginary world, your average rate is $100 per post. If you developed your own online course that was $300, posting about your course could yield you $900. We're posting about this only yields you $100. So sometimes you just have to weigh out what the option is for you. And that's why I always try to get all my influencer friends to, to start um, their own products and do something else. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I just listened to um, Caitlyn Jenner. He was on the Skinny Confidential and he was talking about his children. Obviously, we all know them. And yeah. um, he was telling them when they were younger, he was like, don't just work with brands, start businesses. He always told them that he's like, don't let people monetize you you need to build a brand because those brands will drop you in a second and you have nothing. And so it's kind of interesting you said that because I mean, the Kardashians, they could have just been rich. They didn't have to go and just start all these businesses. They're, just, they're also smart business women, whether people like to admit it or not, you know? Yeah, they're, they're, they are brilliant. And that is great advice that when you are an influencer, you are a salesperson for somebody else's business. And though you are a business owner as an influencer, 100%, you are selling and promoting someone else's business. And if you took those skill sets that you have of naturally promoting something or, or speaking highly of something and applied it to your own things, just imagine what could happen. There's a lot of potential there. And so that's why I'm always telling people like, develop a course. Yeah. develop a product, create something that you can sell for yourself. There's a lot of opportunity out there for you. I agree. So what is it like being a social media coach and like talking, do you talk to people like throughout the day, all day? Is that pretty much like what that looks like? Yes and no. So I have a lot of different programmatic opportunities within my suite. You can be in a course, you can be in one-on-one, -on -one, you can be in a group coaching program. I have a lot of different things, but I block off days for calls. So I'm only on calls with clients on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon, usually. Uh, otherwise I am in the Facebook groups, supporting people who are in my courses, I'm working on coursework and tweaking things, or I am boxering, which is a voice note application, my private clients. So it's essentially like having a walkie talkie to your clients. And so we talk about life, business, you know, helping them with sales or things that they need throughout the day. And it is really fun working with the client, like my clients, working with students, absolutely the best part of my job, befriending people, getting to know them, 100% my favorite part. But um, yeah, on the day-to-day -day calls are only about one or two days of the week. The rest of the days are admin 
you know, getting things in order, working behind the scenes. There's a lot of systems, lots of systems behind the scene when you're a course creator and you have a lot of courses. Definitely. And then some people get turned off by the term coach, or I think it's more of like the life coach space where people get that from. Like, why do you think that is? And like, what makes a coach so valuable? I think the reason that being a coach gets a bad rap is because people think giving advice is a coach because you can call yourself a coach because you give advice to people or you tell people what to do. Um, but that isn't what coaching is. And I would never discourage anyone from that wants to be a coach or thinks they have the skill sets to be a coach to not do it. I think everyone should pursue what they want. But the biggest mistake that people make is calling themselves a coach without realizing that the service they actually provide is not coaching. It's information transfer. It's dumping information on someone on a Zoom call and then being like, you got it? Cool, you're, you're gonna get a result now. Um, Coaches are people who help actively listen and co-create a relationship with their clients in order to get them the transformation that the client actually wants. And that is not like telling somebody what to do or only giving information. It is this supportive kind of river of a process that takes someone down their own journey without them even realizing it, just like a therapist. So I can only imagine that the reason coach gets a bad rap is because people have had experience with those that are not coaches. Simply they're just not coaches. Well, um, you've seen like the young boys. I think it was like a lot when Gary Vee was faint, like getting really popular. Like he still is, but when he was first coming up, like you'd see like 16, 17 year olds, like, oh, I'm a life coach or I'm this, you know? And it's like, what? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And for anyone who wants to become a coach, you absolutely should. But do a lot of work on understanding what it means to be a coach and the frameworks that that transformation needs so that you can build up your skill set so that when you get on calls with people, it doesn't turn into a conversation or a transfer of knowledge. It's actually a productive session that helps people walk out the other side being like, I feel better, calmer, and that I know what to do now that I've moved forward. I've made a decision that I'm going to make a next step. Um, and that's usually not a skill that comes naturally. It's usually something you have to learn and improve. So as long as you're taking an interest in your coaching education, you should be just fine. Yeah. And then, so what classes do you offer? Like, um, and then how did you come up with those? So the Elevated Instagram is my entry program. This is a course that's designed to help people master the foundations of building an engaged community and an elevated brand. Meaning if you are feeling taxed with the idea of content, what to do when you show up on the app each day, how to actually get people talking back to you, that is the elevated Instagram's promise is that by the time you walk out, excuse me, walk out the other side of that program, you're going to feel really confident that you know exactly what to do. So it's not a beginner's course in the sense of like, here's how you create an Instagram post. Like it's not that, that, um, entry level. It's for people who are like, I've messed around. I know what I'm doing. I've got a few thousand followers that are here, a thousand people, but it's just like not building into anything. I don't really know where it's going to. The Elevated Instagram helps you make all those decisions and figure out where to take it. 
Then I have um, Scale Social, and Scale Your Social is a program designed to help you refine all of your greatness and your unique strengths and package that into your first digital offer. So whether that is coaching, coursework, downloads, services, we help you start your very first profitable offer online. And then I have one-on-one coaching. Um, and that is the Rolls Royce. You get all of my programs. You get access to all of my guest speakers. You get access to me all the time. And that is for people who are really making a couple of thousand a month in their business. And they're looking to scale and multiply that and turn it really like put the gas into the car and make it go all the way. Um, but right now I am currently launching something I'm really pumped about, which is called um, the Course Creator System. So for anyone who has just been curious about creating only a course and not all of the other online offerings, it is going to be an incubator for your course ideas where I will be personally reviewing your coursework, helping you create a transformational course that is not just a transfer of information, which is something that people really struggle with, um, and getting people results, but more importantly, how to package that, market it, and get it into the hands of the people who you can serve the best. So that is something I'm enrolling into mid-February of 2021. I'm really excited. So many people come to me, they're like, I have a course idea, but I just have no idea where to start, or I know it's going to turn into a PowerPoint presentation where all I do is like talk and talk and talk about this topic, and I know that that's not a course. So this is really designed to help people create transformational courses that are very helpful and not just put information into a course, like into video, you know, doing something a little more. Oh, I like that because I might have to take you up on that. <laughs> I launched an ebook through don't call me girl boss and I got zero sales. I just kind of did it. I was like, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I've talked about it on my podcast before, like it totally was a flop. And I ended up just making it a podcast episode. <laughs> and I just read it all because it was good information. and just, no one cared, you know? So that's a very, you can't just like, I've learned, you can't just pop up Hey, I have this ebook. It's nine 99 and then expect people to buy. They won't, especially Absolutely. if you're not building up that reputation for yourself too. Yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time, people won't buy a solution to a problem that they don't know they have. So regardless, whatever the ebook was, it could have been, you could have taught them how to make a million dollars, right? It could have been a million dollar ebook, but if I don't even know that I need a million dollars or that I need what's in this ebook, I won't buy. Um, and so that's a lot of what I help people understand is the psychology of why people end up picking up products and why product, certain products are very successful and why products are get, you know, end up in the bin. Um, and there's a lot to that. And that's just kind of the joy in the journey. Like if your first ebook had been a smashing success, you would have been like super lucky. That would have been amazing. But the reality is, is we kind of throw a few things in the trash and then we figure out how to do it again. And then it's way better the next time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was good to dabble. Cause it's like, okay, I definitely realize like, it's not as easy as everyone makes it look on social media. Like there's a lot more behind it and to make it look good. Like that's a whole nother thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I spent three and a half hours today building a page for the course creator system and a webinar for it and all this stuff. Um, and making it visually beautiful, but technologically that it functions and you click on this button and it actually does what it was supposed to. There's a lot, there's a lot that goes into being a business owner, but I would 
rather work 80 hours a week, right? For <laughs> myself than yeah. work 40 hours a week for somebody else. <laughs> and so I saw you use the platform Kajabi. Is that how you say it? Yeah, um, Kajabi is the platform I use. Why do you use that platform? Is that just like the best one you found? It really depends on what you're looking to do. So if you came to me and you said, I'm going to create one course, I'm not going to become a course creator. I just like need to create this one mini course on how to do your taxes as a small business owner, for example, mm -hmm. I would say you can use much more affordable, more straightforward platforms that just like allow you to kind of toss in some videos, put a price on it and, and away you go. The reason I like Kajabi is it's super robust. So it has a ton of landing pages, webinar softwares, um, email marketing, payment processing, like a ton of stuff all in one. And it really just serves my needs as a course creator. I have multiple SKUs and multiple versions of things um, that some of those lower choices probably wouldn't be the best fit for what I'm trying to do. But if you were like, hey, I'm doing like one or two courses, there are things like Teachable, Thinkific, um, Udemy. Those are all ones that people can use for much lower investment to mm -hmm. get into for their course if they would look like to do that. That's good advice. I'll look at those. I just did like a downloadable PDF. Do you not recommend doing that? Um, PDFs are totally fine. I think it's important to define whether or not it's like a, a lead magnet or if it's an actual like paid piece of media based upon the information that's in there. Um, and then having the right funnel system to get people into it. So, mm -hmm. you know, the opt-in goes to the page, which kicks off an email series that upsells them into something else. That is the type of flow that really helps you go from that $9.99 sale to a $37 sale because of all of these little like micro bump ups that people get fall themselves into as they go through the opt-in. So PDFs are totally fine. Um, it just is like, where is it at in the process or what comes after it? Yeah. That is the really important part. Cause if they just get the PDF and it's like, have a nice day, thank you for coming. Um, then, then that's where the conversation ends. Yeah. But you can get them into a Facebook group or book a consultation call with you or to download your mini course, what have you, that could be the next step. And then what are some struggles you have with coaching? Like what are some of the hard parts? So I'm an introvert. I know it might not seem like it right now, but I, I love talking about what I do. And so I get really energized speaking about it. Um, but talking to people sometimes can be an energetic drain, not an emotional drain. Like I like talking to my clients. My clients are awesome. But when you talked to people all day long, you realize that you've given away a lot of yourself. And at the end of that day, there's not much of you left. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I have limited my calls to certain days of the week where I can say like going into it, today is the day that I am giving myself away to other people. You know, today is the day where it's not about me. Um, and then at the end of that day, I'm rehabbing myself with like chocolate cake in my bed, you know, whatever, like that type of thing. But that allows me to free up all of the mental bandwidth on the other days. Um, the other challenge of being a coach is 
sometimes taking on the responsibility and feeling like you're responsible for other people. And anyone in the coaching industry would tell you that as a coach, you are actually not responsible at all for the transformation that your client receives if you've given them all of this, this skill sets to do it. But, you know, if a client gets on a call with someone they were really pumped up about, they thought it was going to be a closed deal, you know, someone they were like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, we're going to, I'm going to get that, that white whale I've been waiting for. And then they don't, you know, and then at the end of that call, they're messaging you being like, I didn't, she didn't say yes. Or like, we couldn't work it out. It's hard sometimes to be like, oh, you know, like, I want to, I want to change that for you. I want to help you. I wish we could do something different. And going to bed feeling bad, you know, like, oh God, I wish I could help and change this for you. But separating that from like the reality of, it's not my, I, you know, I did not play a part in that conversation. It's not my job in order to get this sale to go through or this conversation to work out. Those are some of the biggest challenges. Cause when you care about people, you want them to win 100% of the time. And when they don't for a myriad of reasons, you can be like, oh, I just want to jump in there and fix it all for you and like help every little piece, which is just not the way it works. Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, have you got a client where it's like they're posting terrible images, you know, like there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. Like they're posting pictures of their cat, you know, over and over again. Like, what do you do with that client? So in one-on-one, no, there's an application process. And I only take on people who are already very, okay, so you, you would only, you limit who you take. Okay. Yeah. So one-on-one is very, um, I don't mean exclusive as in like exclusive, but exclusive as in the right type of people are the best fit for getting a transformation in one-on-one. But of course, having some starter programs for people, you do get those that are figuring it out and going mm-hmm. through a journey of like trying to figure it out. And as an educator and a coach, you know, I try not, I try to let people figure out things on their own, but when somebody is clearly struggling with conceptualizing what it is that they need to do, it is your job as a professional to step in and say like, we probably need to have a talk about what's going on here. Um, so yes, there's been multiple times where I've privately DM'd someone and just been like, Hey girl, I'm noticing Uh, The last 10 posts have zero hashtags on them. Just wondering what strategy that one is, you know, like wondering where you picked up that strategy because I'm pretty sure, of course, I don't say it like that, but that, you know, in my head, I'm just like, where are the hashtags at? You know, what are you doing? And of course, usually there's a reason it's like, oh, I thought that if, if I didn't, maybe it would help like, you know, there's always some like thought process there. Um, and then we can talk it out and sometimes I'll hop on calls with people and be like, let's chat for 15 minutes and we can talk again about how to make you feel comfortable with hashtags so that you do feel like you can pick the right ones for you and you can make that choice. But if you have a great course and you're a great educator and a great coach, you shouldn't have very many people that are that far off the beaten path by the end of the process. But, you know, every once in a while there's someone who doesn't log in or hasn't watch the material and is taking educated guesses on what they need to do. And then it's your job as a coach to be like, come back this way. Like we're going back over here. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, what advice would you get? Sorry. What advice would you give to someone who wants to become an online coach and wants to kind of do what you're doing? 
Yeah. So the very first thing would be to understand what type of transformation you can get somebody very confidently. So you, as a business owner, you could say, I am a small business coach. You could, like, you could say that, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe what you're really confident in is helping people get their first mobile client online. So when people become coaches, they believe there's a misconception that like you have to know how to do everything to be a coach. Like if you're a money coach, you need to understand everything from soup to nuts of like how to invest and how to like hire, like hire people and salaries. And that's just not true. As a coach, you actually get to pick and choose what type of clients you take on and for what transformation you get to, you get to give to them. So being really clear on, yes, I might have this myriad of knowledge about blah, 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 but where can I create excellent transformations where people are going to walk away, like cheering in the streets with what we've done together and focusing on client attraction and marketing that really speaks to those types of people. Because for me being an Instagram coach, yes, I could help a product-based business. Yes, I could help a physical restaurant, but it's not my zone of genius. You know, it's not like the thing that I do. And I couldn't get them as great of a transformation as I could for somebody like you, for example. So I try to target my messaging to not attract those people. The second piece is to really pursue your education as a coach. Again, we talked about this already, but transferring knowledge and talking to someone and telling them what to do is not what this business is about. So if you can navigate that early on and come up with strategies about how to develop your own coaching style, then you are going to be light years ahead of everyone else because you'll be creating great transformations in what you're awesome at. And you're also going to have the skill set to navigate people through really tough seasons of life and really challenging topics and things that keep them up at night um, and doing that really confidently, which is just a great skill set to have. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, so do you have a coach? I feel like I have to ask. <laughs> yeah, I always have a coach and really? I, will, I will always have a coach. But I hire coaches for different things. Oh, really? So you do like niche coaches? Yes. Yes. Um, because here's the thing. As you get more into your business, you get more confident, right? You get more confident. I'm sure you're pretty, very confident in your business. You know what you're doing. You know what's going on. But then there's always these moments where it's like, yeah, but what else? You know, what else is out there? Or like if I reconfigured this whole thing over here, could everything be a lot easier? And if I reversed it, could it be different? And having somebody there that understands what you're talking about and has maybe been through that before is really powerful. So I love it because I love the support. I love like hanging out with people and, and talking about business. Um, but yeah, I'll hire niche coaches for different things. So I've hired sales coaches, I've hired marketing coaches, um, I've hired mindset coaches. Um, and it's just a wealth of information in different areas that you might struggle with. Um, but yeah, I think I'll always have a coach. Well, that's awesome that you're like, you're a coach, but then you have a coach. Do most coaches have a coach? Is that usually how it works? Yes. It's very, very, very common, but the coaching types start to scale out. So there's something called an executive coach and that is 
somebody who's really operating at like a high CEO cerebral level, like kind of masterminding this huge big picture for you. And so after people who have had lots of success, so maybe they've made a million dollars in their online business or something like that, they typically aren't working with like other online coaches as much. They're usually working with like bigger business coaches and foundational coaches um, that might not even have an an online presence, you know, that are really operating like on a different scale. Um, but I see people hire like each other all the time. Like one of my friends hired me to help her with branding. And I'm like, so can I hire you to help me with, uh, you know, like other things? Um, but I think what happens, the reason why this happens for anyone out there who's thinking about hiring a coach in any topic, I hope that I am your choice for anything Instagram related, but for any topic, once you've invested and you have a good experience, investing again becomes fun. And I truly mean fun. Like after being in a mastermind, I was like, who's going to take my credit card next? You know, like <laughs> what, what program am I joining next? Because that was so much fun. And I got so much out of it that I want to work with people again and again and again. So I might hire a mindset coach and get my ass completely whipped by them and being like, this was hard, but it was so good that coming out of that other side, I'm like, well, who else can I have, you know, like what else can I work on and figure out so that I feel like I'm moving forward. So once you've had positive experiences with coaching becomes easier and easier and easier to do it again and again and again. So sometimes all it takes is hiring your first coach. And then you're like, I love working with coaches. You know, it's so much fun to have accountability and someone to lean on. What mindset coach do you recommend? So there's a lot of mindset coaches. I think one of my favorite, just as a human being, her name's Topsy. So like T-O-P-S-I-E, Topsy Vandenbosch, probably butchering her last name. She pronounces it very, it's like a very long last name. Um, she is just an incredible mindset coach. She has, you can see that she has an incredible mindset with the way that she approaches her business. She makes really great transformations for a lot of people. There is another person, his, his name is Matt Yates. Um, and I've worked with Matt in the past, different like styles, you know, Matt is a direct person, but he uncovers layers of truth within you. That is like this whole otherworldly experience. Like you could get on a call with him and be like, I want to talk to you today about how I'm feeling really burnt out with life. And in five minutes from there, you're realizing that you're actually talking about like something else, you know, like he unravels your mind into this thing where at the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, do I not, he knows me better than I know myself. And it's such a weird experience to talk to somebody like that, where you're like, whoa, you get it. You really get it in a freakishly accurate way. Uh, but that's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to feel seen like through you, like a whole board through you, like, nah, whatever you just said, wasn't the truth. Whatever you think, it's not what you mean. What you just said was a lie. And you're like, oh my God, like I'm bared, like completely naked here, but that's where you get results. Mm -hmm. right? Like that's where you get somebody to be like, that is not what you mean. And that's not what you're talking about. Let's talk about the real stuff. And then you're like, I think my life just changed. Like, I really think my life just changed. And that's the power of a mindset coach. 
you know, that's something that I don't have a skill set in, but it's powerful to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even know that was a thing, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like the first call, you're kind of like dizzy, like grabbing <laughs> the table, like, oh my God, I need to go cry, cry alone <laughs> somewhere. But then you come back for more because you're like, wow, someone's actually going to break me free of all of these things, you know, in my mind. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad you shared that because you're changing my mind a little bit about coaching. It's not like I ever thought bad about coaching. It's just not something I ever thought about. Like yeah. I see it all the time, but I've never really been like, I don't know. I've just like never been that person to invest money like that. Like I know I need to get better at that, but I'm just the type where I can do everything myself. And that's a terrible mentality to have. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone. You know, solopreneurship is a real thing where people are a party of one and, you know, one of one. Um, and it sounds like maybe prioritizing what type of help would be the most beneficial to you first, whether that's a business coach or a mindset coach or a sales coach, whatever that might look like. Finding someone that you feel deeply connected to and that you can see their proven results from other people who have had a great interaction with them and walking away just being like this investment isn't money going out the window like this money isn't money that's leaving me it's something that's coming back to me times 10 and that is the reframe that I had to make when I joined the mastermind because the mastermind was not inexpensive it was very expensive it was the biggest expense of something I'd ever purchased in my whole lifetime and I was like I don't know if this is going to work I don't know what's going to happen but seeing the power of the ROI the emotional ROI the tangible ROI the non-tangible ROI I'm like oh I would do that a million times but until you've gotten there it's hard to see it I understand that it's hard to see it until you've done it so um, I think coaching is a great thing for everybody, but the right coach for sure is the biggest piece. <laughs> well, it sounds like you do a good job at like making sure you guys are a good match too. It's not just like you're taking on any person that messages you because you're trying to make a doll, you know, a dollar. It's like, no, like this needs to make sense. Yeah. And when you are first starting out in your business, you make those mistakes, right? You, anyone messages you for some help and you're oh like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're pumped. You're like, I wish I'm going to help you. This is going to be great. And then you realize that some people you lend your knowledge to and it turns into a beautiful blossoming experience that leads them down the path that they exactly wanted. And other people, it's like you're stumbling in the dark together and you quickly realize like, whoa, taking on a product-based physical brick and mortar business or what have you was not my cup of tea and I don't operate in that space or, you know, I'm, I'm excellent over here. And so that, that's all part of the learning process for sure. And, you know, for someone who is slightly skeptical of hiring a coach, I would say working with people who are just tried and true and have, you know, years of experience under their belt and proven results helps navigate those. But ultimately you could still not be a fit. That's why every coach should be really discerning with who they take on as much as who they, um, as who you hire. I tell people when we're talking, like this is an interview from my side too, you know, because I, I only have a finite amount of spots. I, I've been booked out for months. You know, I'm like, don't have any spots, but um, I, when I do, I'm like, this spot has to be taken by someone who I'm pumped to work with. And they are as equally pumped to work with me. 
And so um, I, you know, we don't make concessions to that any longer. You know, maybe my first six months of business, I maybe would have, but now it's like, hey, I have recommendations for you that are in a better fit for what you're looking for. And then to pivot a little bit, I just wanted to talk a little bit because you are an influencer as well. Um, do you think you need an, um, a blog to be successful as an influencer? I personally do not. I don't have a blog, um, but I do think it depends on what your end goal is. So you, when you have a blog, you own real estate. You're bought, you bought a house. Okay, you bought a house and you're working on that house. That house can be very successful and very beautiful if you put time and energy into it, or it can be crumbling at the seams if you never post anything over there and it, you let it kind of die and waffle out. Um, but it's not an essential part of becoming an influencer. So if you wanted to work with brands and become an influencer, having a blog is something that you could create on the side and slowly get into it. But it's not at the beginning going to ultimately decide whether or not you're successful on the front end. Um, like I have a client who has a very big blog, very, very big blog and a very small social media presence. And she still gets reached out for brand deals only for her Instagram account because people don't even realize she has this blog, right? People like, they don't even realize that behind door number three is like a massive thriving business. So it's not always going to be um, hand in hand. So I usually tell people, if you're not going to develop products and services, like you're not going to start your own thing, then having a blog where you start to run ad space and affiliate products or Amazon stores, like to know it, all that good stuff is great to build up for SEO back to your blog. And you can do Pinterest pins and really build up your traffic and use that traffic to leverage when you're working with brands to say, hey, yes, you might wanna promote on my Instagram, but I only have 10K here. But over on my blog, I'm getting you know 50K views a month. So let's add that into the package and you can start earning more and more and more. But if you are someone who's like, I don't like writing, I know I'm not going to invest time in this. It's going to be an exhausting trap for me to do. I think you can be just as successful without it. Yeah, that's good advice because I've talked to influencers before and they're always like, I don't know if I should have a blog or should I have a blog? Like, will brands not pay me because I can't link to it as much as I don't have 10K followers. They can't do the swipe up, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's all in the presentation and the effectivity of the channels that you have, again, just having a blog, but if it's taped together with, you know, sticks and sticks and tape or whatever, and it's actually not something that you're thriving and putting time into and making it look nice and getting the content fresh, then it's really kind of a, just like a, I don't want to say waste of your time, but it's kind of not the best use of your time if you're not going to kind of give it your all at that time. Yeah. What are some of the struggles you would say are connected with being an influencer and being in that space? Uh, probably judgment, the hustle, and maybe some inauthenticity. Um, I think that there 
we are lucky that in Austin, there is not much of a competitive mindset. Like people generally are just like, I hope you're doing well. Like, I hope you are doing well with your Instagram and I hope you're doing well with your Instagram. But I know that it's not like that everywhere. And people are very, very bitter about who's getting what. And I've heard horror stories of people like actually reaching out to brands and being like don't work with so-and-so she bought her followers or like don't work with this person whatever and I'm like these are just levels of competitiveness that I personally can't relate to because I only see what I'm doing and I'm just like this is what only matters right now um so I think that that can be a problem I do think that influencers get a bad rap you know people judge you you say the word influencer and they roll their eyes right it's like oh you put stuff on the internet, like how, how grand without realizing that it's an incredibly difficult business to be in. There's so much admin and the people who are crushing it and promoting products like daily or or a lot, like the bigger bloggers, they are working very hard. Like if they make it look effortless on their account where it's just like, Oh, I'm just making my morning coffee. And like, here are my earrings that took hours of like figuring out and putting together and getting the product remembering the dates and the times and the codes and the swipe ups and the hashtags that you're supposed to use. And like, there's much more that goes into it. But I do think that getting judged by your friends and family at the beginning stages can be a big deterrent for most where they're like, oh my gosh, my friends are making fun of me. Like, should I even continue on with this? And it's just so unfortunate. Um, because it's not like that at all. It really is a hard, hard industry to be in. Um, But also kind of that competitive petty stuff could be a downer, especially if you're someone who's not into that stuff, like myself, people are competitive around me. I'm like, it gets, makes me uncomfortable. Cause I'm like, why can't we all just win? You know, why can't we all just have a good time? I don't need to beat you to feel better. You know, I don't need to beat you to like get ahead. Um, But I know in certain states and cities, it's, it's different than that for sure. Yeah. I worked with a lot of influencers in California and the influencers here and there are night and day different. It's like a community here. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's little pockets of it here, but, um, like you said, overall, like, I haven't heard anything really, you know, it's just all like, Oh yeah, she's great. She's great. We hang out. Like that's pretty much it, you know? And it's like, you guys just all kind of like refer, you know, businesses to each other. And it's just like some kind of like, you know, fun group. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that about the Austin market is that most people are just like laid back, have a nice time. Same with people I like to hang out with. So it's good. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone trying to build their following? Well, I would, my advice, which it might be slightly different than other people's advice is that being weird and all of the things that made you feel really uncomfortable as a kid, like maybe the things that you got picked on or teased for, or things that made you feel awkward or stand out are probably the best things about you as an adult that other people don't have. So for me in high school, I was super weird. People were like, oh my gosh, why are you wearing a prince costume? Like to school on spirit day? Like, why are you wearing that? And why are you like bumping like your 80s tunes out of your car in the parking lot and I was like I don't know this is just who I am like this is actually just who I am but it was so uncool back then you know people thought I was really geeky 
But now like me being time of Dre and who I am and showing my personality online was the key to my success because every other social media coach out there is like, good, good evening. <laughs> like, let's talk about bio well, constantly like, selling themselves like every post. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, there's some shtick like a buttoned up and persona and whatever. And I'm just like, Hey guys, not going to do any of that. Like this is who I am. And either you love working with me for who I am, or maybe I'm not the right fit for you. And that's, that's fine as well. Um, so I always kind of ask people like, what do you, what about you? Are you hiding? Like, what about you? Are you holding back? Because those weird quirky traits are exactly what people are going to love about you. Perfect example, Alicia chocolate is my vice. If you don't follow her on Instagram, like go do it right now. Seriously. But she, as a beauty and lifestyle blogger or fashion blogger could easily be like all of those other girls who are like, this is my necklace and this is my, you know, my new hairstyle, whatever. But she is literally bouncing off the walls, swinging from the rafters, like twerking in a handstand. And she is being herself that probably in her life was something that people were like, you're too loud, you're too weird, you're too goofy, like you're too blah, blah, blah. But on the internet, it converts because people are like, you're weird, but that's the best thing about you. Yeah. So finding about what you're holding back on and like releasing that into the wild and just becoming your own authentic self and just owning your shit, like that's a great way to build to win fans because people can sense through a screen, whether you're being yourself or you're not, it's very easy to see if people are putting on airs or not, but beyond that, of course you need some strategy, (laughs) you know, not just act yourself and a million people will run in. Um, but staying consistent with your engagement as much as you are with your content, but making sure your content actually means something and amounts to something. Most beginners I see one day it's a post about food and the next day it's their niece's graduation party. And then it's like their farm and a trip they went on. And it's like, what does this all mean? It actually doesn't really amount to telling some sort of story or gaining a deeper sense of value or knowledge. So picking the direction that you want the ship to go and making sure that you're steering it in that direction with your content. Um, So if you choose to be a lifestyle blogger, that your content is lifestyle focused for the type of person that you wanna attract, whether that's young women, women over 40, you know, the sky's the limit, but targeting somebody specifically and making sure that you are actually creating for them and that your content is going somewhere. That's the biggest mistake. So when people come to me and they look at my page, it's clear what I do. The content is always valuable. Um, and I'll, all I'm trying to do is help people out. You know, mm-hmm. all I'm trying to do is help people on their social media journey. And I back that up with everything that I do. Free programs, tips on stories, free advice, free content, free programs, paid programs. All I do is help mm-hmm. people. And that really helps people remember, hey, if I'm looking for help, in this topic, I know who to go to. It's going to be her. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I'd say It's like most beginners, they're bouncing all over. The content has no context. They're hiding themselves. They're being way too reserved and they haven't just like let it, let it all flow yet and kind of let it get out there. 
Well, I remember when I first moved to Austin, I was like looking for influencers. This is kind of a plan, what you were saying on quirkiness. And I remember coming across you and it was right when you had your wedding, like literally like right then. So maybe you could explain to the audience, like what I saw and maybe they can get to know you a little bit better by your wedding. Cause it was very different and very eye-catching. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah, well, I think if anything could describe me as a human being in a nutshell, it would probably be my wedding. Um, <laughs> my husband and I really like Halloween, me maybe more so, but I we love the whole theatrics of Halloween. Um, and so we decided to get married in a Hallow wedding. And at this Hallow wedding, everybody showed up in costume. Not just and- costume, like, the- like theater ready costume, by the way. Yeah. Yes, not like Walmart from the bag. We're talking like full blown real costumes. And I, though I walked down the aisle in a normal dress, well, kind of normal if you call it entire ostrich feather ball gown as a normal dress. Um, But then my husband and I transformed into werewolves with a full prosthetic team. And we made this grand entrance into our wedding where there were bloody drinks, a bloody wedding cake that I made myself, um, black food, the band were all in costumes, everything was themed. We went viral for it multiple times. Um, But really for us, it was like, this feels so authentic. Like to go to a church and do the whole thing to me, would people like anyone who knew me would have been like, really? Like, you're gonna, you're gonna do a traditional thing? Like they all expected me to do something not traditional based upon who I am. And so the wedding was just such a fun opportunity to showcase who I really was and really lean into that. And either people thought it was crazy or they thought it was magical, but most people thought it was magical. No, it was amazing. I was like, what is going on? I need to like follow this and see everyone at this wedding because this is, is amazing. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I was just so jealous that you got, well, not jealous, but like, happy that someone would be able to be so secure with themselves to be able to do that yeah well thank you for saying that I I didn't think of it that way in the time but when we did go viral at one of the points there was a lot of I think one post had 3,000 comments and a lot of people were like I wish I could do this but you know I'm gonna get judged like my parents what are you doing like my friends would think I was stupid. And I'm like, I guess I'm just so lucky that everyone was like, can I come to your wedding? You know, like people were like, I want to be there. Um, so I'm very blessed and feel very lucky that people embrace the experience like tenfold. And it was a very wonderful night. Yes. And I recommend if you are listening to this to go to Dre's Instagram and scroll down and wait till you see those photos. Cause they are epic. Yeah. I also have a highlight. It's my very last highlight, which is for the wedding. And, uh, definitely a a wild ride. (laughs) Yes. Go look at it. It is amazing. And then what would you say your number one social media tip is? That's a good question. Hashtags. Is it geotagging? I mean, like what is like the best? Well, I'll, I'll give you like a twofold answer. The very first one is that, um, your mindset without strategy equals dust in the wind. So if you feel like what you say matters and what you're doing means something to you, it's easy to show up and it's easy to be there. 
But if you're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I feel like I'm just faking it to keep up with the other fashion gals and do this other stuff and like play into this idea of what I should be doing. It feels like crap. It really does. I mean, all my students say that they're like, I'm trying to be like, I was trying to be someone I'm not. And now that I feel free from that, I can actually grow and I can actually be the leader that I want to be. So the faster that you can realize, like, you don't need to be like anybody else or do all the same things that you're powerful and your message matters, you can unlock like different chapters in your book. But strategically wise, um, if your imagery is not good, it's a very challenging process. You know, it doesn't matter. Like your, your captions could stink if your photos were bomb. Um, and so it's not about investing in expensive equipment, but it's understanding the fundamentals of what a good picture is, like what an actual good, like captivating image of something is. And when I first got started, I shot a lot of food and, you know, I would see these people who were shooting food and it looked beautiful and delicious and captivating. And here I was with my iPhone shooting, like, I don't, you know, like stills and looking at them and being like, these don't look like the same thing, you know, like this is not that. And I realized that I just didn't understand like the concepts of framing a shot and moving things around and getting lighting and, and like understanding what to do or edit the photo. So if you can get your images to be good, you are going to have a lot easier time growing. Mm -hmm. So probably an unexpected answer that you were thinking, but um, yeah, I was I was expecting something way more like strategic, like A and B equals C. Yeah, no, I mean, I could give you everything, but if the images that people come back to are not captivating or, or, or at least like at a minimum level of composed and, and functionality, they're not going to click the follow button and everything beyond that falls. You know, it's, it's like, this is the main thing that kind of gets everything else to go. Um, so yeah, that, that's my thought on that. Well, it makes sense because Instagram is based upon photos. It's basically a magazine. It's all we're looking for. I mean, people like make it like a little micro blog at the bottom, but it's all about the image. I completely agree with you. I think the image, I say the image brings likes and the caption brings comments. And when you have nailed both and you have good skill sets in either, you become much more deadly. You know, you become much more powerful with what you're doing. Um, but the photo comes first. Yeah, I agree. And then I saw you post about creating a product-based business like a while ago, like you were going to dabble into that. What are you guys still doing that? I think it was you and your husband, right? Yeah. So we are learning the ins and outs of drop shipping. <laughs> so product-based business, yes, but not like physical, carrying physical goods, more like we don't touch the product. It just gets directly shipped to the mm -hmm. customer. Um, I believe that whatever you give your attention to is what thrives. And so for me, that was, is more of a side project and much more of Josh's project than maybe mine. Um, I'm there for moral support and photo taking skills and ideas and things like that. But really that's his mm -hmm. thing. Um, and I would love to grow it. I would love to like see it become this huge other thing. I want to follow that journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like I would love to prove it to myself and to others that like you can walk into an industry that you don't know anything about because I don't know anything about the dropshipping industry and be successful, but I don't have that success story yet. So until I do, <laughs> when I do, hopefully when I do, 
I will teach everyone how to how to do it. But um, for right now, it's just a side project that we're figuring out. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I love side projects. I have like a million side projects and I need to stop. But yes, <laughs> I feel you. Um, and then I saw you post about a podcast. Are you still coming out with one? I really hope you do. <laughs> yeah, I really want to. Um, it's it's just time. Like it's yeah. really just time because I would love to start a podcast. I think that my sole purpose in life is con convincing others and sharing with others that like there is no roadmap. The roadmap doesn't exist. And like whoever is telling you that there is a roadmap to how you need to live your life is misleading you. And that there are so many routes to having a beautiful life. And so that's why I want to create the in Inspired Misfit podcast, because I think when people are free thinkers, they are often given titles like being a misfit or like unemployable, like jokingly how I call myself unemployable. That'd be a good um, name, unemployable. It was taken. Trust me, it would have been the first <laughs> thing I would have taken. I would have been for sure. But for people who feel that way, like I'm unemployable, I don't want to work for someone else, I want to come up with my own ideas and blaze my own trail, there are plenty of people out there, I know for sure, who feel as I do. You know, they feel like they are trapped by societal norms to get their nine to five and get married at 30 and have their kids by, you know, 33 and whatever it is. And I'm sitting here being like, or do we, you yeah. know, or, or like, do you? And I do think that that's a really important message. And the more people I've met in my entrepreneurial journey, I'm like, there's a lot of really cool ways to build something powerful for your life. And we need those stories out there more. And that's really what I want to do. Um, I just don't have the equipment, don't have an editor, you know, lots of things that I would need to hire and figure out in order to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it does because I would definitely listen and you're welcome to come on here whenever and <laughs> share your message until you have one, but it's really surprisingly not as time consuming as you think. I could see that. I definitely agree that it there's seems way more overwhelming than it is. I do think a podcast is a great way for visibility to um, increase your brand recognition, all the while helping people with other free info, which I'm all about the free info, as you know. Um, and, you know, if tomorrow I woke up and Josh was like, here's a microphone and I paid for an editor and like, you just have to like send an audio file to someone, I would be like there right away you know mm -hmm. it's just the thought of even having to like find someone and like pick the right mic and do the things that maybe I can have someone on my team like do some research and, and present to me like here are two things you should buy and well I, I could tell you too like I did my research so I can dm you afterwards and tell you what I got because I've tried and failed with a few yeah please I mean I'm I'm open to advice from anybody at this well, point. Well, I'm not perfect at all. I could just tell you what microphone I use. <laughs> no more than me. So it's helpful. Clubhouse. Like this is this new thing popping up. I know you're on it. Um, I know a few other influencers in Austin are on it. What do you think about it? And if someone probably doesn't even know what Clubhouse is, maybe you can explain it to it. I've been on it and I'm just kind of like, what is going on? Clubhouse is an audio-based social media app that allows people to form rooms and have conversations 
voice about any topic at hand. So think of it as an AOL chat room, but you're using your voice instead of typing. Um, I have really enjoyed Clubhouse. I think that with anything in life, there are strategic ways to use something and there are inappropriate uses of your time. So if you are a big time consumer where you're just sitting in rooms and listening and listening and listening and listening, unless you're going to do something with that information, you are not wasting your time, but you're ineffectively using your time. So if you were to tell me, hey, I take notes in these calls and like I run out and I go do stuff with the information, I'd be like, awesome. That sounds like you're learning and that really sounds excellent. But if it's like, I just put it on and I listen, but then I shut the app at the end of the day and there we go, mm -hmm. then it's not really the best place to be putting your energy. The real place to be putting your energy in Clubhouse is to host your own rooms, create your own authority, put your own leadership out there, help people champion topics that you believe in and have deep conversations and use that as a trigger point for your funnel, your sales funnel and whatever that might be, whether it's just getting people to your Instagram account or to follow you, your podcast or to hire you to consult them on their mobile-based business or whatever it might be, um, that is where you can be really effective. That's where I've had luck is by getting people to come from Clubhouse to Instagram to join a program of mine. Have you noticed that's been happening? Like, do you find value in Clubhouse? Yeah, I've gone up hundreds and hundreds of followers, but I'm but I'm creating a lot of value and I'm mm -hmm. hosting rooms and I'm getting visibility and I'm not just listening in rooms. I'm creating rooms and um, putting information out there. Do you think Clubhouse is here to stay? Do you think it's like one of those ones that's just kind of come and go? It is here to stay for sure, but it is going to have to make significant changes to the UI and the process that they have in order for it to be long-term. Because right now, if you follow, like if you followed today, let's say you went and followed 800 people, your like main thing of all the rooms that are available would cover every topic under the sun. And it would have no algorithmic basis of like what you actually wanted to listen to. So people who follow me, like people have turned on the notification bell for me being like, I want to know everything that you do. And they're still like, I don't even know where to find what room you're in or like whatever, like whatever you're doing, I can't even find that. And so yeah. there are some improvements that need to happen and probably some monetization that will need to happen where they like, you could do a private room where you have to pay five bucks to like get into the room. Yeah, that's um, cool kind of like an OnlyFans, I guess, for, uh, you know, OnlyFans for like education. Um, I could see that happening because some of these big rooms, you know, you have multimillionaires in there that are giving away like their secrets to life. Yeah. There's like Grant Cardone and like Gary Vee. And you would pay, I mean, if they did a seminar at the local Holiday Inn or whatever, you'd probably pay 300 bucks or something to go listen to them talk. And here they are going on and on for hours, for hours for free. Mm -hmm. So I could easily see them saying like, Hey, we're going to lock this room. And if you want to get in, you, you know, click this button and pay 30 bucks and you get to be in here for the rest of the day. But like, you have to pay that fee. I think that people would do it. 
Oh, I, yeah, I agree. But it's weird that like, even when you download Clubhouse, like the icon on your home screen is like, like a Rastafari guy. I'm like, yeah, it's like a random musician. I don't know. I'm like, this, is this the right app? Like, is this a scam? I don't know. I I mean, I think that we're like on MySpace when you had to follow Tom, you know, I think, I feel like (laughs) we are in the Tom phase, you know, and there, there needs to be like the chapters that go after that. I agree. And then, so I want to talk about the Forbes article a little bit. This is huge. Congratulations. Um, How did that happen? And have you seen any conversions or any business from that? Like, how has that affected you? Yeah. So there's an important distinction in PR. So there's something that's called earned media and then there's paid media. So paid media is like you paid to be featured. So if you ever see someone who's in a Yahoo article, like top 10 coaches for, I don't know, mindset, they probably paid to be in that article. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Paying for promotion is just like paying for an ad, you know, so you pay to be in there. Um, my Forbes article was earned media, so I did not pay at all to be in that. Um, and it's great that it was an interview and Jill Griffin, who was the writer is actually in Austin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jill and I hopefully will someday have lunch sometime soon. Um, but she focuses a lot on entrepreneurship and I had a connection who knew Jill and she was like, and Jill is in Austin. So you two should talk and it will just be, you know, perfect, a perfect fit. And it was, it was great to chat with her. Um, but here's the thing that most people don't realize about media. So unless you are a product-based business or the media amplification is like wild and crazy, it doesn't convert to sales. So every time I've been featured in an article, I've been in Washington Post, Business Insider, Forbes a couple of times, Medium, people are like, oh my gosh, you must be making like a ton of money. Like, are you like, are people blowing you up like crazy? I'm like, well, the article only goes as far as the article went on their page and whether or not it linked back to me in the first place, like actually had a clear call to action of like, go follow her and hire her, like talk to her. And then, you know, whatever micro percentage of those people actually even come check me out on social media, then, you know, a smaller percent click the follow button and a smaller percent of those people like actually write me. So tangibly zero, like I I would say tangible zero dollars, but I'm sure that it has injected my audience with people who are watching and looking Mm -hmm. and deciding and maybe eventually will convert into a client, but it's not like an instantaneous thing. Now, if you went on the today show showcasing your cool new product you might get 10,000 orders that day, but for coaching and service-based businesses, unless you're doing something extraordinary or the story is extraordinary, the story goes viral, it kind of just is like a feather in your cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's still amazing. It's an accolade and something you can talk about on your social media. And it gives you more, like you said, more of that credibility. Yeah. It's great leverage. I mean, few social media people, experts, coaches have been in Forbes more than once. And so it, it allows me to share that and, you know, share my story, which is powerful. Um, but for right now, it's kind of like a pat on the back. Eventually I might, um, 
have a press page on my website and I might leverage it into paid media, like pay, like pay an ad or doing some sort of sponsored ad mentioning the fact that I was in Forbes mm-hmm. to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I wish it was like, then you woke up and it was like a fairy tale story where like <laughs> your DMs were like exploding with thousands of people. Uh, but that usually probably only happens when you go viral for the wrong type of thing. That's true. Um, so where do you see you and your businesses in a few years? My goal is always to impact more people. So every goal I, or every year I create a goal of how many people I want to impact. Um, so I don't usually create monetary goals. I create like service-based goals. Um, so last year I served a couple thousand. Um, so this year I'd like to serve thousands more, um, And I have plans to do that. Of course, those are not just like hopes. I have strategy behind that. But I want my business to unfold out of Instagram and into more of um, empowerment for women wanting to start businesses. So of course, in a COVID world, like events in person are not happening. But my background, like you know, we didn't go through my entire life story, but, you know, I did work as a college recruiter at one point in my life where I'd get up on stage in front of an auditorium of thousands of high school kids and talk to them about their hopes and dreams. And I loved that. I love public speaking. I love, love, love public speaking. And I think it would be really amazing to get on stages and share powerful messages and missions about creating your own business and forming your own path and doing your own thing. And I could see that being like the, the next version of me that I want to be, you know, the next version of me wants to be the biggest version of myself. And the biggest version of myself is out there changing a lot of lives. You know, it's not squirreling away behind my desk all the time and doing like one-on-ones for the rest of my life. I want to be in rooms of thousands of people transforming everyone's life as much as I can at one point. So um, that is where I see this going. I know that guide is going to be incredibly successful. We are going, we are going to have a multi, multi million dollar business on that side of the house. Um, it's, it's incredible to watch that grow. So that is going to be like my, the workhorse, you know, the, the big thing like in the background that's just moving and shaking on its own. Um, so yeah, you know, I want to impact thousands of people. I want to be the biggest version of myself, the best version of myself by helping others. And I want guide to be very successful. Well, I'm excited to see all that unfold. Like you said, and I'm sure it will. Thank you. I hope so. I have to do the work, but I will always do the work. (laughs) Yeah. I don't doubt that you won't do the work. (laughs) I always tell myself that I'm like, Oh, that's a lot of work. I'm like, why do I doubt that? Like, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. You've already over, you know, you've already worked so much and overcome so much that it's like, nothing is impossible. Yeah, Everything is figure outable. You just have to figure it out. You just have to get there. Exactly. Well, where can everyone find you on social media? The best place to find me is going to be at instagram.com forward slash time of Dre, like time of day. That is the mothership for everything that I do. Um, Spiraling from that, there will always be a link in my bio where you can find other fun things like freebies or my Facebook group where we have a lot of fun. Um, So check me out on Instagram. I do have a website, but it all kind of leads you back to Instagram and that's where all the fun is anyways. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this amazing information. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's always great to talk with you. And I love that you hold this space for people who are female entrepreneurs who are doing it differently. Uh, I think it's a really important conversation to have. So thank you for having it. No, of course. Thank you. Again, thank you for listening to Don't Call Me Girl Boss. The best way to support this podcast is by liking and subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes and following us on Instagram at Don't Call Me Girl Boss. There is a new episode every Sunday, usually in the afternoon or at night. Thank you again for listening.